This is a unique day in the life of our church in that um, in our congregational meeting, there is every year a slate of elders and deacons that come up for approval and, um, and discussion. Uh, the many weeks previous to this, there have been lots of dialogue and prayer with current leadership and potential leadership. And uh, I've gotten uh, questions over the years about what kind of church is this anyway? Because, I mean, I don't know how many of you, I was raised in a very similar situation. I was raised in an independent Christian church. But many, many of you were raised in other traditions, whether it be a different denomination of being Protestant or a, a Catholic background. Um, some people call it, you know, a different religion. It isn't. Hindu is a different religion. But you're all, <laughs> Christianity is Christianity. It just wears a, little, a lot of different names. It is a different denomination. But it carries with it different traditions and different protocol and different ways of, of seeing how church runs on a local level. The independent Christian churches and churches of Christ are a unique blend of autonomy and fellowship. We're not a denomination. We don't have a district superintendent or a bishop. We don't have large nationwide gatherings for the purpose of setting policy or setting the voice on certain social issues or a budget. Those national gatherings that the independent Christian church has are largely for teaching, for fellowship, for networking. It's purely voluntary. Nobody has to go. But we do these things because of a, a fellowship of believers that gather in, in that vein. We don't pay dues to a state board or district headquarters. Leadership and governance is up to the individual congregation in roles that the Bible call elders and deacons. And I was foolish enough to think that I could cover both of those today. I cannot. I will address the issue of eldership today. Apologies to the deacons. I might get to that later. Doesn't mean it's not important. Just means I'm talking about elders today. So in the life of Countryside, in many churches like ours, each elder and deacon has an opportunity to continue to serve after a year's time or take a break, depending on life situation or what's on their heart. And every year at this time, there's opportunity for, for new men who have a heart for such roles that have dialogued and uh, entered onto this prayerful conversation about the possibility of serving. In every church I've ever been in, there have been those serving in this role that have been a source of great love and strength and productivity um, and vision, long hours of prayer and study and solid leadership. But in every church I've ever been, there's also stories of misunderstandings, of hurt feelings, of unfortunate mistakes, of heartaches, gossip, struggle, even conflict. And for every person who's been in church very long, there are memories and feelings on both ends of that spectrum. So as always, we want to get into the wisdom of God's word to know what to do and how to do it, why to do it. I heard a, a podcast last week that quoted someone as saying, Jesus started the church the way he wanted it, and now he wants it the way he started it. In so many places, in, in, there's no congregation that does it right. You know what I'm saying? We're all goofy on our best day about how we do church. So every person is a work in progress. Every church is a work in progress, and we want the Holy Spirit's guidance on the ups and the downs, the peaks and the valleys. As, as I thought about this whole idea of eldership, sometimes my mind works in, in ways that I just get at 30,000 feet of Scripture and I look at the whole thing and I see where 
are the common threads? Where's the common denominators in this concept? And <laughs> it might be sound funny, but human interaction with animals. God's creation, Adam and Eve, given rule and reign over God's perfect creation. All the animals were brought to Adam to see what he might name them. And it's not far after the fall and the banishment from the garden that we see that in Genesis 4, Abel had flocks. And he brought some of the fat portions of the firstborn of those flocks to the Lord as an act of worship. And Abel was a shepherd, as was Jacob, tended sheep and goats. Moses was a shepherd after he left Egypt. David was a shepherd boy and wrote that famous line, The Lord is my shepherd. God referred to the kings of Israel as ones who would shepherd his people. And several times in the Old Testament, as well as Jesus quoted this, he referred to God's people as sheep without a shepherd. Ezekiel and Zechariah especially are full of imagery of God taking on the role of shepherd as his his people, the ones he gave responsibility to, were not doing the job. He put roles, he put these people, kings and priests, they'd abandoned their responsibilities. And so God said, I will be their shepherd. The prophet Amos was a shepherd. And then there were those shepherds who were watching over their flocks by night. And they were told by this chorus of angels that there was a birth of a Savior who was Christ the Lord. Jesus himself, he called himself the good shepherd. And he laid down his life for the sheep. And then Revelation 7, it refers to Jesus saying, For the Lamb, the Lamb, at the center of the throne, will be their shepherd, and he will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. I find it ironic that the Lamb is the chief shepherd. He is both. So it's no coincidence and it's no small thing when the New Testament writers look at all that imagery and use the same verbiage and apply it to those who lead churches, local congregations. What is an elder, biblically speaking? There are three words that I'm going to point out uh, today from the New Testament. One is episkopos. Everyone say episkopos. It means overseer and is a position of oversight. And it's one that Titus was supposed to appoint overseers there in the island of Crete where he was ministering. And then there is one that I can't quite pronounce right, poimen, poi, poimeni, poimeni me. I don't know. It means shepherd. Um, and there are noun forms and verb forms for you English geeks out there. It's in Ephesians 4.11, it's translated pastor. So some people might look at the preacher and call him the pastor. In reality, there are lots of pastors within a congregation. They're called elders. There are those who have a pastoral role. And then there's tupoi, which is plural for tupas. And it's better understood as an example, a type. So those three words, episkopos, poiamen, and tupoi, tupas. What does an overseer do? In J.W. McGarvey's book called The Eldership, he explains um, that in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, 
Episcopos is regularly used to describe, quote, persons who have oversight for the purpose of directing their labors and securing a faithful performance of the tasks assigned to them. In a word, accountability. One of the tasks assigned to an overseer is making sure others are equipped and encouraged to do what they've been called to do and to carry out their ministries and to give them help where they're struggling. This is where, this is where staff evaluations come in handy. The evaluations come from the elders to the staff to make sure, one, they're carrying out their responsibilities, and if they're having any trouble, how can we help you? There's accountability. There's also accountability from the eldership in roles of volunteer labor, which is really harder to do, honestly, but it's still necessary as shepherds look over the responsibilities of those that they're looking after, they can see, well, this person is doing a great job. They need encouraged. This person is really struggling. How can we help them? This person said they would do that, and they never did. What do we do? My father-in-law likes to say, there's a big difference between oversee and overlook, right? To overlook is to ignore. To oversee is to pay attention and to take the edge off of the word oversight, because some of you have a real pet peeve about someone looking over your shoulder as you do your work, he says, and I like this, that the role of elders as an overseer is to just look after people. When you look after people, it carries the idea that you're just caring for them enough to pay attention. It's true that an overseer in a modern setting has organizational oversight. I'm talking about the work of a church building and a church budget. Those can be elder responsibilities as well as deacon responsibilities in some churches. But those aspects of the work pale in comparison to the importance of the ministry of the word and prayer and of paying close attention to people. That's an overseer. What's a shepherd do? Well, shepherd does a lot of things. For one, he tries to keep the sheep from straying from the fold too far. And he leads the spiritually hungry and thirsty to places where they can be nourished. Remember in John 21, after the whole denial incident with Peter, Jesus is talking to Peter and he asks him, Peter, do you love me? Three times Jesus asks him this. And every time Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus answers him twice with, then feed my sheep. The word feed, really just get them to grazing land, get them to something they can eat. But the one time he says, tend, and I think I like the NIV, tend my sheep. That's the word shepherd, the verb form of shepherd. Pastor my sheep, look after them, make sure they're well fed and watered, yes, but heal them, bring them to unity, take care of my sheep. Then there's protection for sheep who are at risk. Paul talks to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, and he says, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock with the, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And then he says, Be shepherds. So there's both, both terms used here. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And he warns them, After I leave, savage wolves will come among you and not spare the flock. There is a responsibility of a shepherd to mend those who are spiritually or emotionally wounded. There is a responsibility of a shepherd to discipline those in the flock who hurt other sheep. 
who are divisive, who are blatantly unrepentant in their sin or at a risk to themselves. This is a hard job. But it's also being a trusted friend and a companion. Jesus said his sheep knew his voice and they wouldn't run away. This is a work filled with massive amounts of authority as well as huge amounts of tenderness and compassion. You can't have one without the other. And lastly, what's it mean to be an example? Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that's come from their lives. Follow the example of their faith. Elders are people who you can look to, to know how to walk the talk, to live it out when maybe you're new to it or you don't know as much. You can look at people like this and say, oh, that's how you do it. Paul told the Corinthian church, follow me as I follow Christ. And he also told Timothy, his understudy, his son in the faith, he said, you've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now you teach those truths to other trustworthy people who will then be able to, what? Pass it on to others. So it's not just one-to-one, it's a multiplication effort where an elder will be an example to maybe one or a small group of people who then will be able to duplicate that into other people who can then pass that on to somebody else. You see how this works. They're an example to generations of believers. There are lots of obligations an elder has to his flock, and there are obligations that a church has to an eldership. I'll just be very brief here. 1 Peter 5 is an awesome example of both of these things. 1 Peter 5, I'm going to start in verse 2. Verse 2 says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is in your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And verse 5, Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you, clothe yourselves. The literal translation, put on the servant's apron. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. You see, there's responsibilities on both sides of eldership and flock. And Galatians 6 is another place where we can look about obligations. Where it says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Being confronted in sin is never pleasant. Being confronted in sin, even gently, is no fun for anybody, but it is an elder's work to discipline as, not punish, but to train, redirect, and set in the right course. I don't know a single church that gets church discipline right all the time. It is one of the most volatile subjects, and it can create the most harm, but it can also do the most good in a life. And then there's Ezekiel 34. And if you'll allow me a little bit of time here, I think this is super important. Ezekiel 34, 
And I'm going to start in verse 17. Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 17. As for you, this is God talking. As for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another, between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of the pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you've trampled and drink what you've muddied with your feet? This is stuff going on between sheep and goats. Who else talked about sheep and goats? In Matthew 25, the difference between a believer and an unbeliever, the difference between heavenly reward and heavenly punishment, I wonder, this is my theory, I wonder if God is speaking about sheep mixing in with goats as in unbelieving people and saying, why are you ruining it for the goats? Why are you messing up the pasture for those who need fed? Why are you messing up? Why are you muddying up the water for those who need a drink that never got one before, but they could if you stop messing it up? Believe it or not, there's some Christians who really don't want unbelievers in their churches. They think they like it the way it is, and you get those people in here, and they're going to mess things up. You can, those people in here, they're going to take my seat. If you get those people in here, they're just going to, oh, it's just going to be different in here. And well, I don't know, we want that. But then he continues. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. Verse 20, See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Read, well-fed and not well-fed. Because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns, read, goring, wounding, until you have driven them away, I will save my flock, and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another, and I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. Who's he talking about? Jesus. This isn't between believer and unbeliever. This is between Christians here. I think we can apply this very directly to sheep with sheep. Well-fed sheep and sheep that are a little lean on the edges because they've been away for a while or they've not been involved or maybe they just weren't all that plugged in, all that included, and there's these well-established, well-fed sheep that are shoving them away. And God says, don't, don't do that. Those are my sheep. And I'll judge you for that. I will send my shepherd to tend those sheep. Those sheep that need your attention. Those sheep that you need around. And believe it or not, there are some churches, some Christians, who treat other believers poorly because they either dress differently or they're from a different part of town or they're from a different socioeconomic strata, and they push and they shove and they wound. And elders sometimes need to get in the middle of those sheep and say, quit it! Stop that! You're messing things up. You should know better. And elders don't like to be confrontational. Not one that I've seen, anyway. Those that do like to be confrontational, I worry about a little bit. But they need to be sometimes. Sometimes elders need to get in the middle of sheep and just say, okay, break it up. What's going on here? Let's talk about it. 
let's restore this relationship, let's do the hard work of getting along together. I think a church has responsibilities to its shepherds. Hebrews 13, 17 says, have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as one who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. And 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work and live in peace with each other. I think we would be remiss if we didn't pray for our elders. I'd like you to, to add them to your prayers. In fact, if you are a, an, a present elder in Countryside Christian Church, I would like you and whatever family you have with you to stand right where you're at. Just stand up where you're at. Any elder and his family with them. If you have served in the past as elder, would you stand with your family? If you've ever served in, in, in the role of, of a shepherd in this church, would you please stand? We, we stand on the, the shoulders of giants, don't we? While they're standing, I want you uh, in the seats to target one of these families, and we're going to pray for them, over them, for wisdom, for direction, for, for a, a godly vision for, for the future of our church, that they be strong in their responsibilities. This is, no, this, is, this is not something that a person wants to do because they want control of something. This is not something to say, I want control of the thermostat, okay? And this is not just giving communion meditations. This is difficult work that, a, that God calls a person to. Let's target one of these and pray. God, thank you for the families represented here. I thank you for these men that have given lots of hours and their spouses who have supported them in it, who have worked beside them in prayer, that kids understand dad's at a meeting tonight or he's out in a hospital call or he's having a meeting with someone and it's, and it's hard. Sometimes it can be hard and sometimes it can be a, a, a great thing, a rejoicing thing. It's a, a chance for them to exert a positive influence and a godly witness in ways that can bring glory to you, can build the kingdom and build people. And Father, forgive. Forgive where we've, where we've messed it up. Forgive us for not forgiving one another in ways that um, even in, 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 maybe even in this room that there are places where you need to be healer in relationships and bring us to complete unity and in a, in a spiritual maturity that can grow us in the whole fullness of Christ. Raise up another generation of godly men and women who will serve in places where they can exert their own influence, that there will be shepherds in the next generation who will be faithful with the word of God and faithful in prayer and give us a clear calling to pray for these people. We thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen.